Chapter 64 Saturday and Scarlet Once again, there I go like a time traveler. Space, time, emotions, desires get all mixed up like a cake batter. It's like something snapped in my head yet again. Maybe the left side of my brain was peering through my right eye and seeing the world in a different perspective. Now, it didn't seem to be about the money anymore. At least it was less relevant. This was about finding a generous man, generous enough to offer without me having to ask. Things like comfort, things that might make me happy and feel secure as a woman, gifts because he wants to, arms wrapped around me because I'm the one he wants, not just for sex, but because I am who I am. A woman who needs to be loved and recognizes that the most important part of my life are my children. I guess I never changed from the time I was a child. I just diverted over and over again. Who doesn't look for love? Could sex that is paid for be my replacement for free love? No matter how busy my life has been, there's always been time for that little recess in the back of my mind to fill up slowly with depression. Don't most comedians have that same spot? It's sort of like when you laugh at something they say. The spot gets smaller until the joke is over and the applause dies down. Then, as small as it had just become, it doubles itself in size in a hurry, waiting to deliver that next punchline. Depression is like a stalker that can't be arrested. As I'm spending a Saturday night alone, I think about my kids. I wonder what they're doing, if they miss me, if they care. I wonder how much longer I can stay away and live this other life away from them. Will there ever be a time that enough will be enough and I can go back home and be the mom again? What else can I do to make this happen? It seems to be the question of the century. At least it feels like it's been a century. I find myself not calling them as much because every time I do, I miss them more. I'm not sure which is worse, to hear them and crave them or not to talk and just live from sustained memories. I've become the queen of compartmentalizing, haven't I? Eventually, I feel like I'll just burn out. The queen of spades burning like a rubber tire on cement, brakes screeching, sparks flying, and a voice through a megaphone yelling, She's done! She's done enough! Let someone else try now! She wants to come home! Ha! Huh. Not in this lifetime, I'm afraid. Instead, I hear, off with her head, as the cards are shuffled over and over again. I do believe the deck has been stacked against me. I don't see my husband stepping up. It's almost as though I've enabled him not to. The kids are not old enough to bring in enough money for us to survive, so it's still on me. If I can last for two more years, I might be able to get them all through. Which is scarier, not getting them through or knowing I'm fading from their lives? Both horrible outcomes. Resolving this, letting them graduate with their friends, knowing that they have each other to come home to and be strong for, is a better choice for me to watch from a distance, as their mom, than wallowing in self-pity while worrying about me fading from their hearts and memories. I will pick up the pieces of our lives after they are secure. Jumping to another lily pad floating in this fairy tale like stream that's running through my brain, feeling like Scarlett O'Hara once again, thinking, Let me push this memory aside 
and try to remember the last man I'd been with that offered me a passionate kiss. And realizing that if I couldn't remember what I loved most from a man, it must not have happened for a while. I'm worried I'm approaching burnout. I've been looking for passion where it doesn't exist. Money, yes. Passion, no. I wind up so confused with priorities that I can't think straight. I feel as though there are so many more episodes of what I've gone through to share with you, but they start to get fuzzy because if they don't matter to me, why would they matter to you? Sex is sex. Money is money. But there's no exact price to offer for passion. It's priceless. The woman I was and the woman I am relies on it as the drug of sustenance. Whether passionate about my children or a man, it involves giving 100%. Can I look in the mirror right now and see a woman who's giving that much of herself and her time for her children's sake? Yes. Does it appear this way to the rest of the world? Probably not. No one can possibly know the pressure I'm under to get this taken care of. They don't know the background so I don't expect anyone to understand. And where I'd like them to offer, in the end where I'd want sympathy, I'll be lucky if I even wind up with empathy. My friend understands what I'm doing as he watches and listens and lets me vent on a daily basis. No one else could possibly stand my ranting and raving. I'm tight-lipped and don't tell anyone anything. Most women dream about spas, shoes, and their next Botox treatment. And here I sit thinking about kids, men, and passion. A cheap date? Give me a cardboard box that's big enough to hold two, and let one be a passionate man and the other me, and I can live a fulfilling life. One day soon, I hope I'll feel as though I've made the money and I've socked it away for emergencies. But the biggest emergency right now is that I don't want to live in this way anymore. I'm not really sure I want to live at all. The kids that I love, my kids, I sense they're ignoring me. They don't call. My husband stopped working due to an illness. My mom is delusional and wants me to go back with him and not tell her about the men I see for money because if she's subpoenaed, they'll drag the truth out of her and she could wind up in jail as an accomplice. It's all about her. She should have been my husband's mother instead, I think. They think alike. I just recently took a trip home to stay with the kids for a weekend and overheard a conversation about grandma. The girls had friends over and were discussing the fact that their grandma liked their dad better than she liked her own daughter, me. I walked in, shook my head at them, folded my arms while leaning in the doorframe. Their friends looked mortified that I'd heard the conversation, and while we held the mutual silence for about 30 seconds, we all then burst out laughing, them saying, Mom, you know it's true. Papa loved Dad better than you, too. I nodded my head while the laughing yet pathetic tears just rolled down my cheeks and said, Yeah, (laughs) go figure. Don't think I don't recognize these signs of depression. My thoughts are bouncing all over the damn page. I can't even control what's rushing from my head and blasting through my fingers. Chapter 65. Carry That Weight. I've recently studied our life insurance policies to see if they were intact. If I die, I'm worth $800,000 to my family, plus what's in the sugar daddy box. If my husband dies, I get nothing, because he felt it was too expensive to maintain the policy on his life. What 
is it worth anyway? Strangely enough, he made sense to me before our separation when he told me he let the policy go. I thought he was always right. He was always the one that handled our financial affairs, which eventually led me down this road of trying to be the fixer and handle every financial problem by having sexual affairs after our disaster in our marriage instead. Blind faith has a black or white effect, I believe. You either believe in your partner all the way or not at all. If you believe the wrong color, you wind up in the abyss to nowhere fast. At work, in the corporate world, I've become the fixer too. They only know they've hired a creative, savvy, passionate woman that can get the job done. They don't know I carried my after-hours job with me when I landed here, or why. I've been very careful to make sure that the two worlds don't collide. The thing is, I could have 20 worlds right now, and no matter how good I am at compartmentalizing, my worlds couldn't help but collide. Each matters to me so much that I can't turn my back on the other. I want to go down as a saint, not a slut not a whore. So I wrote this book to leave the intent behind. Some may figure it out, and if they do, I believe they'll protect those that haven't. It was her, but keep it quiet and let's protect her family. I can only hope so. I want to leave the legacy behind to my kids that I was the mom that cared enough to leave and to support them, to give them a better life. I want them to grow up and God forbid they be in the same situation. I want them to love their kids as much as I do them. And if in trouble, I want no hesitation from them in doing the same for their kids as I did for mine. Sugar included. God help me for saying so. But as moms, we must do what we must do to protect those we've brought into the world. Period. I've had enough of a passionless life. I've had enough of trying to fix everything. I've had enough of trying to find answers to what went wrong. I'm just tired. I'm so damn tired of carrying all this weight. I'm tired of not mattering. I'm devising the master plan. Chapter 66. Hello, past. Meet present. While realizing that I'm looking for the perfect ending, even though I know there's no such thing as perfection and it's not likely to happen, I've remained on sugar daddy sites, where most men understand the money factor. I've determined that there are two kinds of men here, very smart, wealthy, or classy men, and then there are the guys that are looking to get laid and are willing to pay for it because they don't want the hassle of the bar scene. Since I began writing this book... It's been two years, and I'm feeling two years too long. I'm looking for the combination of both, in a way. I want to be a man's solution to sex, warmth, chemistry, compassion, and all the other good things I have to offer. But in return, I want help financially. It's a sugar daddy site, for God's sake. I think I picked the right place to go. The combo packages that I do want a long-term relationship that will eventually turn into love without the designated dollar or set amount of times. Can it be found on a sugar daddy site? My friend and I have this debate over and over again. I say yes. He says, take the money away and you have no females left. Take the sex away and you have no men. Hell no. Love cannot be found here. I need the love to justify what I'm doing. I know it. So let me call it as I want to see it. If it's fabricated, so be it. It's a means to an end. I'm protecting my kids. Damn it. Let me try and feel the normalcies that other women feel. Let me at least be in love for a minute. 
while trying to fix this damn mess of a life. I just feel it's got to be something that's earned by both parties. If people don't pay for something, it seems they value it less. For instance, kids that buy their own cars or pay their own tuitions value their automobile and careers a lot more than those that don't. Maybe if husbands and wives had to pay each other something weekly for what they were truly worth, there'd be less divorce. I'm all over the place, aren't I? It's just a theory. I'm thinking about suicide. I know it's an act that can't be committed because my kids wouldn't collect on the life insurance policy. I also know that I can't disclose this as a reality in my own book for that reason alone. As an alternative, what if my life was taken from me? If I think about it realistically, it's the perfect storm. My husband no longer has to be belittled every day that he doesn't bring a dollar in. Even if that belittling only goes on inside his own head for the most part, my kids would have no more guilt feelings about living with their dad instead of coming with me. No one would be forced to call me anymore just to say hi. And they'd be rolling in the dough between life insurance policies, workman's compensation, and the money I've put away for them in my extracurricular activities. Even my mom wouldn't have to feel guilty anymore for loving my husband more than me. My friends are limited, although I know my best friend would miss me. The others wouldn't notice until way after the fact. Not at all meaning to sound like a martyr, but really, who would miss me? Sometimes I feel like it's almost as though I'm not even here, just a mere shadow of what I used to be. How does one go from vibrant to vacant? If I don't get hit by a car or shot in an alley... This crossroad is going to be the death of me for sure. I'm even more confused as of late because my past that I've written about has caught up to my present and I don't know what to do with my character or lack thereof. I'm still a woman with morals. I'm still a woman who wants to be in love. I'm not scarred any more than any other woman who might be on a regular dating site. In fact, I might be better off. I got paid. I paid two rents. At least I knew what the hands I was being dealt were from the beginning instead of doing that stupid dance around the sex question routine. Does she like sex? Does he want to just get laid? Oh my God, the dances we do as normal, sugarless civilians are exhausting. <sighs> I've tweaked my profiles to the point where most men have stopped writing. I knew I was doing it as I was doing it. I became extremely selective and began the search that my friend swears I'll never find. I know as well as anyone that if you search for something, you rarely find it. But the minute you stop looking, it finds you. So, I began. My sugar baby profile now reads more like a woman who's looking for love. If that includes drama, I'm your queen. No more running away from that word. No more pretending that there is no drama in my life. No, 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 no. My friend says, Dora... I think you've finally lost your mind. You've become the antichrist of the sugar world. No sugar daddy will want anything to do with you. I say, I don't care. Have any of us ever been in love without drama? Hell to the no! I'm admitting that I just don't want to do this anymore. If my children can't help at this point, they'll have to learn the hard way. It's called survival. It's what I've been doing for them their whole lives. It's their turn to show the world my teachings. Just how much really stuck. I answered an email on a sugar daddy site the other night, just to dip my toe back in the water, thinking about what my friend and I had discussed. I asked this new suitor, 
Why are you here on this site? I feel that there's a trend that wasn't here two years ago. I feel men are here for multiple reasons. Can you offer your feelings? Can you imagine what this guy must have thought? Here he's on a sugar daddy website, most likely looking to get laid, and this sugar baby in her 40s responds in this way. Oddly enough, here's what he wrote You don't have to worry. I don't think that this is a sugar match. As for the nature and size of the arrangement, however, the expectations of the women on this site has changed dramatically over the past several years. Those who are here for the traditional sugar daddy sugar baby arrangements confine themselves to the strictly sugar daddy baby relationships, while those who are here looking for something else employ the not limited to a sugar daddy sugar baby relationship designation. And that something else can be anything from the traditional monthly stipend to pay for play each time we play to I want to date a man who has money so that I don't have to pay all the time. And I don't want your money because I have my own. So, and I know you don't see other women's profiles, so there's really no other way you'd know this than other than me telling you, there is no uniformity on this site anymore. Strictly Sugar Daddy Sugar Baby is shrinking rapidly. It's probably no more than 25% of the profiles I see. More in LA and New York City, less elsewhere, even Las Vegas. And the not limited to can mean just about anything. Best always. John, I was right, wasn't I? The fact that I don't find it odd that this man took the time to write to a total stranger just shows that I know what I've got inside that can draw people out. I'm just afraid to hurt them by pulling too hard while I'm still in this immobilized holding pattern. Chapter 67 Second Time Coming into Money You're joshing me. Isn't it just like me to make a decision as grand as that one, put on my big girl panties, throw my shoulders back, hold my head up high, look straight ahead while saying no to my peripheral vision, and then get slammed hard from the left by a man who magically appeared on my right? He spun me around in triple 360s before I could even absorb the fact that I don't wear panties to begin with. So that whole vision in my head had to be fabricated from the get go. What was the most upsetting to me that I was willing to change my mind in a nanosecond from the idea of being a good girl to jumping right back into the fast lane? Or was it the fact that he emailed me all these months later using a screen name that I couldn't remember, insisting we'd had sex together? All of this happening within minutes of my initial decision to behave. My lack of memory brought back my resolve to give up this madness until he said the words, Dora, you remember me, right? I'm your rocket scientist. From the left meant he left me before. Where in the world had he gone? Was he part magician too? It had been six months since I'd seen him. He'd said he couldn't live without me, and he'd never had sex like that before. And then he just disappeared. He asked to meet, and my rationale at that point was hey, he wasn't new business. Why not? We did. And he looked exactly as I'd remembered a bit frazzled, a bit unkempt, hair a little too long, unassuming blue jeans, and a bomber jacket, all of which he didn't waste any time taking off. He explained that he'd been involved in projects that were military coded and had been traveling overseas quite a bit. He also explained that he and his wife had been in the process of filing for a divorce when an unexpected event unfolded 
His only living relative was dying, a relative he truly didn't like. This stopped the divorce dead in its tracks because he was to be the executor of her estate and she was only worth $35 million. I calmly asked, Why are you telling me all of this? I hardly know you. He replied as if we'd just seen each other yesterday. I told you I didn't want to live without you, and I meant it. I'm just waiting for her to die so I can take care of the estate, get it in order, and then go on with the divorce. I want you with me. If you could only have been the proverbial fly inside my head, you'd have seen the wheels spinning, the disbelief, and the eyes inside the back of my head trying to look out and see who's pulling the fast one. Am I being punked? I inwardly asked. What? What? Same man, second time coming out of my mouth. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't even know you. I only know that I thought I killed you the last time. Even more so, I was thinking, what could a rocket scientist want with the likes of me? He explained a little more about himself to me. His accomplishments in life that had afforded him to be a bit wealthy on his own, his dislike for his wife of 25 years, his lust for me and my candor. A rocket scientist said to me, of all people, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm the one with a lesser IQ. I looked at him like he was crazy and said, that's because you're thinking with your dick. My IQ is nowhere near yours. It doesn't matter, he continued. When I'm with you, I feel good. I'm happy and I feel important. It's been a long time since I felt any of those things. Hold on here. Aren't those the words that I always uttered to Nick? Had this come full circle? Was I now the recipient of a man's unconditioned love, where I had been the one doing all of this offering? Is this called karma, or is this just my life? Well, me being the nurturing soul that I am, mother of five kids and two dogs and a husband that I was supporting and trying to protect, thought, who am I to stand in the way of making this man feel good? So I stood up and gave him a hug. If it makes you happy, and really... In my life, stranger things had happened, I rationalized once again. Who am I to question the order of things to come? He asked to see me again, and I agreed, this time without hesitation. One week later, we met at a similar hotel, and sitting on the dresser were multiple money orders for a thousand dollars each, ten of them. He just smiled and said, I tried to line them up better, but, you know, with my OCD, but that was the best I could do. I asked, these are for me? Yes, every one of them. Cash them at your bank. Don't deposit them. I was still dumbfounded and asked, for tax purposes? Yes, and because there's more coming. Do you see what I mean? If you search for something, you most likely don't find it. But if it wants to be found, it'll find you. Just how many times was I going to feel that whiplash effect in my one lifetime, I wondered to myself. Huh? He continued, I want you to be able to go home and see your kids more often. I will make that happen. Was he the means to an end I'd been looking for? My ruby red slippers to take me back to my children? I was speechless. When was the last time you, dear reader, had someone hand you $10,000 for no reason, other than they wanted to spend the rest of their lives with you after meeting up twice. Instead of allowing this fantasy to come forward, I asked, what is my part in this? What do I owe you in return? He said, no strings. I just want you to have it. 
I left them on the dresser untouched, believing that they were counterfeit, until after our visit was over and he left. I sat on the end of the bed and waited a good five minutes to make sure he was really gone. I then stood up, headed to the dresser, picked one of them up, almost afraid to touch it as if it would burn me if I did. I noticed a phone number on the back for verification of funds, so I called it. This money order is valid for deposit or cashing purposes. Please go to your local bank. I was floored. When we step into good fortune, isn't it a normal feeling to want to jump up and down or tell your mom or kids? I couldn't. How could I possibly explain this windfall? They hadn't been a part of the beginning of my madness to support them in the first place. So how could they be a part of my finish line? So I did what I always did. I called my buddy. He knew I was in the hotel with him, and he knew of my skepticisms about this scientist, and he even tried to paint a different ending as I had done. Dora, they can't be real. Dora, why didn't he sign them? You can't cash them even if they are real without his signature. I knew he was grasping at straws, as I was too. And the longer I knew him, the more I began thinking like him. I told him, I called the 800 number on the back, and the automated voice person said it was real. He said, Okay, maybe, just maybe they're real, Dora. But he didn't sign them. They're no good to you. He's playing a game. I got dressed and went straight to my bank, where they showed me how to sign, endorse, and cash all 10 money orders. I walked out of the bank with $10,000 cash. Chapter 68. Pillow Talk. He called me the following week and said he missed me. How do you miss someone you've only seen twice? The thing is, I could tell he was being genuine. He wasn't savvy enough to be able to fake emotions. He was a scientist. They don't know how to be romantic or even the slightest bit mysterious. They're pragmatic people who have reasons for what they do, logical reasons. That's what was so confusing to me, Ms. Intuitive. By all rights, a scientific-type person should not have a romantic bone in their body, and yet all he would do was call, write, and text to tell me how much he couldn't stand being away from me. We agreed to meet again. I had no idea what to ask for, if anything, for money, where he said, no strings. Did $10,000 equate to 20 sexual interludes in his mind, or did he really just give me that money for no reason? We met at the same hotel, where he greeted me with a huge hug and a smile. His face was lit up with sheer delight. I stood there just looking at him, trying to put my finger on whatever pulse was throbbing just under his skin so that I could get a better understanding of what was really going on. He acted like he was 16. I saw a reflection of myself many months earlier with the man I had loved right there on his face. It was a supreme case of deja vu. Dora, 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 you have no idea how long this week was for me, just having to wait for this moment to come. I reached up to take off my imaginary rose-colored glasses for a moment and said, Josh, what do you really want from me? He grabbed me by my shoulders and said, I just want to make you happy. I also want to know all about your children. Where some women might have felt this was creepy... I knew his intent was good. He really wanted the inside scoop of my life. He wanted to breathe my air, inhale when I exhaled, get as close to me as possible without literally being under my skin. Why? 
was still a mystery. He patted the bed and said, Take off your clothes, lay down, and let's talk a while. Really? I was sure that I was sleeping at this moment and that none of this had really happened up until and including this moment. This man had asked me to strip, lay next to him on a bed, and talk. Stranger still, he wanted to know all about my kids, their names, ages, what was special about them, what I missed the most about them. I was in tears by the time I was done painting the portraits of each child, pulling from memories that were just underneath the surface, those memories that had been stifled as of late, the ones I'd been afraid of for fear of losing control. I told him how Demi couldn't say her G's until she was eight years old, how Cody always said he was going to grow up and support the whole entire family, and I'd say to him, It's not whole entire. You've got to pick one or the other. And how Raven would never wear conventional clothing. She'd always wear two different socks or gloves. And Lainey had the most beautiful, wavy, full hair I'd ever touched. And Emma, the baby, still had the same dimple and smile as when she was born. I told him how they loved to touch me, that they said I was so soft. And the more I talked, the more I fell apart. All of the emotions that I'd had in check just flew out of my mouth and into his heart. He pulled me closer and said, It's going to be okay. I promise you. So many things went through my mind at that moment. I actually saw an aura in the air, a glimmer, a glimmer of hope that I might make it back there sooner than I'd anticipated because of this stranger that came from nowhere. I pictured my job, knowing that I could easily do the same job for the same company virtually from anywhere. I saw my kids reaching out, and I was almost able to touch them. I stopped myself at that moment because I was afraid. Who wants to set themselves up for a huge fall like this? Not me. He must have seen the hesitation in my eyes because he leaned over, kissed me, and let the lovemaking begin. Maybe he thought he could erase the fear he saw through sex. I don't know. And maybe he was right for a minute or two. He told me while in the middle of touching me, admiring me and kissing me, that he was sick. I murmured, sick? He continued, I've got a condition that the doctors are monitoring, but I don't know what the outcome will be. It's the type of illness that can become cancerous or just leave you with a lesser quality of life. Either way, I want you to know that I want to take care of you, even if I'm not here. I pushed him up off of me so I could look in his eyes. Josh, you've offered me so much information in such a short period of time. It's almost uncomfortable, and yet I know enough to understand what it feels like to be drowning with no life support. I've been there emotionally, not physically, and no matter what you're going through, However horrible or daunting it may seem to be, as your friend, I want you to know I will be there for you. The words just poured out like lava. I meant every one of them, too. He was just a gentle man who needed a strong-spoken yet soft-hearted woman. No, I was not in love with him. And I was quite honest about it. But you don't have to be in love to offer your heart and give up a piece of your soul when you recognize one of the good guys. I'd call him a white hat. 
just my term for an amazingly selfless man. Afterwards, as we were getting dressed, he said, I want you to start buying more flights home than you have been. I chuckled and said, I'd like that too. Maybe when I'm a millionaire. He reached in his pocket and pulled out a piece of paper that he began to unfold, handed it to me and said, The government allows an individual to give a maximum amount of money as a gift per year to another individual. The maximum is $14,000. I looked down at the paper, teller's check, and caught my breath. This man had just handed me that amount of money as a gift. I looked up at him and again said, What in the world is going on here? Where are you getting this money? What are you expecting from me? I ended with, If you're expecting me to fall in love and live happily ever after with you, that is something I just can't promise. With that, I handed the check back to him. He smiled as he refused and said, Dora, I'm a good man. I recognize a good soul when I see one. I want to help you. I can afford to help you. And it gives me joy to see you happy. Please let me do this for you. And believe you me, that was the least of what he did. Wait till you hear next week. One last time, I'd like to ask you, please review the book. And if you've missed any of the chapters prior to this, it would behoove you to go back and download from chapter one. So at least you'd know where I came from and how this all started. If you'll write me at robinmarshallsugarmom at gmail.com, tell me your name, tell me you left me a little review or comment or clicked a couple stars. Leave me your email address, your address, and what size t-shirt you wear. I'll send you a Sugar Mom t-shirt for free. See? That's how highly I think of you. I hope you enjoyed today's episodes. I think we've got one more coming up next Thursday, and that will be the conclusion of The Diary of a Sugar Mom. It's Robin Marshall, America's number one Sugar Mom. <laughs> Westwood One Podcast Production.